It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Viegas, and we are live with a new episode and back on Facebook live streaming with our host and a new guest. Yay! I'm Todd Marquardt. I'm the attorney and your host. And I'd like for you to know that decisions about your future can be difficult But at Falcon Bank, the trust department can make planning for tomorrow a positive experience. From estate planning and administration of trust to investment management, including real estate and mineral management, Falcon Bank offers solutions with an honest evaluation of what you need. Call Falcon Bank at 210-489-4150 to discuss how they may be of service to you. So now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. The State Bar of Texas is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses, and the State Bar wants attorneys to discuss the law to inform the public about the law, but because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, Material discussed today is meant for general information, even though the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated uh, with individual professional advice. But before we start talking about the law, uh, let's begin with a prayer. Absolutely. Dear God, thank you for today. And thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing or failing to do your will. Please help Dr. Matthew Ritzloff, Christiana, and me give good information to listeners about alternative reproductive technology, including surrogacy, today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are live today here on Talk Law Radio, and we're ready to take any calls from our guests and our audience who want to learn about our topic that we'll be discussing today. Our number to call in is 210-308-8867. And if you want to watch us behind the scenes, you can visit our Facebook page, Talk Law Radio. And look for the Scales of Justice, where we finally fixed our audio and our video problems. So we will be streaming without any further interruptions. Last week's episode, we didn't have a video, but we got to interview a patent attorney, Roman Aguilera. Roman Aguilera helped us learn about patent laws, copyrights, and how people's inventions and creativity has created a legacy for their family if they have children that can be able to receive those rights and benefits. But 
If you have trouble starting a family, well, then we have a special guest here who is a doctor that is very well experienced in this field. Yeah, so I'd like to introduce uh, Dr. Matthew Retzloff. He's a board-certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist with over 20 years' experience. He's part of the fertility specialty team at the Fertility Center of San Antonio and an expert educator, speaker in the area of minimally invasive fertility, uh, sparing surgery, and assisted reproductive technologies. And uh, he's also a friend of mine. His son, uh, Jake, and my son, Thomas, uh, played baseball together on the same select team. So now, uh, Dr. Retzloff, I'd like for you to just uh, give us some brief history on uh what it took for you to become the expert you are today. Good morning, Todd. Thank you very much for that introduction. I'm excited to be here today. I, uh, I'm actually uh, hometown San Antonio grown, grew up and uh, was born and raised here. Um, was always interested in medical school and subsequently became very interested in the area of obstetrics and gynecology and then followed, followed on to that with infertility. So my travels around in education have taken me from Dallas to Phoenix to Boston, where I trained at, at Harvard Medical School in the area of reproductive endocrinology in 2000. I've been practicing in the area of reproductive endocrinology since 2003, and most of that time I've been right here in San Antonio. I'm retired from the United States Air Force and served over 20 years and was a fertility specialist within the Air Force and now have been in private practice with the longest standing uh, fertility practice, Fertility Center of San Antonio, for the last six years. And I'm proud to be here in, in what we stand for in, in helping couples uh, grow their families. Will you clear up something real quick uh, for those of us that uh, don't know the medical terminology? What is uh, endocrinology? So endocrinology is the study of hormones and the interaction of hormones within the body. And specifically, reproductive endocrinology deals with reproductive hormones, the ones we typically think of, testosterone, estradiol, and progesterone, are some of the three big hormones as they are both produced and controlled with both the brain and the reproductive organs. Okay. Well, that, that'll help uh, lead us into today's topic. Um, I want to focus on uh, surrogacy. And there's some misconceptions and there's, there's some terminology that we probably need to set straight right off. So I think it's important to understand the idea of surrogacy in both its traditional form and ways that we are now able to incorporate um, various different forms of surrogacy. So traditionally, a surrogate involved a woman who was genetically related to the offspring she carried. She would volunteer to carry for a couple who could not conceive. They would conceive using her eggs. That was sort of the more typical um, pattern from the mid-70s to mid-80s. And then we transitioned more to what's called a gestational surrogacy or gestational carrier, by which a woman will, would carry a child for a couple who otherwise could not carry a child, but she was not genetically related to the offspring. Okay. 
So that's the difference. Uh, a traditional surrogate would be biologically related to the child, whereas a, a gestational carrier is, is not genetically related to the child. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so we'll be talking about that a lot. Um, when we come back, we'll probably get into more of the, the medical situations in which this would be necessary. And then towards the end of the show, we'll be talking about the legal aspects of uh, how to make this all work and stay out of court. And then we'll talk about legacy, my favorite topic. Absolutely. So it's a lot more complicated than some people would assume that surrogacy is just an outlet if you're not biologically able to have a baby. But there's much more integrated into it, isn't there, doctor? Yes. The you know, gestational surrogacy accounts for about 4% of all IVF births in the United States today. That's up from about 1% um, just about 10 years ago. And the reason for that is because there are many various indications which previously um, couples wouldn't necessarily have this as an option. And now that it's becoming a little more mainstream, uh, more couples are actually um, looking into gestational carrier and actually utilizing it. So then this isn't something that just happened recently. This has been going on through the decades then of reformation as you've had many decades under your belt gaining the experience and your medical certificates. Yes, that's correct. It's really since the mid-70s and then mid-80s, we've sort of transitioned to a point where we are today. Well, then we'll have to take a flashback through history once we come back from this commercial. We are taking live calls. If anybody has questions or myths that they want to clear up about surrogacy, gestational carriers, please call us at 210-308-8867. Or if you're listening to us on Talk Law Radio and want another guest and topic, call us at that same number and leave us your recommendation. We'll be back after this commercial on Talk Law Radio. Remember to call us. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. They can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. And welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. I'm your co-host, Muffled, here in the corner, and we have a special guest today, Dr. Matthew Retzloff of the Fertility Center in San Antonio, helping us understand surrogacy. But can you tell us what exactly is surrogacy now and known as? So surrogacy today is falls under the umbrella of gestational carrier or gestational surrogacy. Again, just as a review, that's uh, there's no genetic relationship to the woman carrying the child. Yeah. A while ago, you mentioned IVF, and, and that was a precursor to this, or it's a part of the process. Will you break that down for us? 
So IVF stands for in vitro fertilization. IVF is one of the um, advanced reproductive technologies that's available today to allow couples to conceive that otherwise would not have been able to conceive. It, it involves a process that's about three to six weeks long where a woman's eggs are then stimulated, they're retrieved, and then they actually, the gametes, which are sperm and egg, are then used to form an embryo by which a gestational carrier would then carry the child. Okay, and so that that leads to surrogacy, right? Yes, that's correct. And so the surrogate uh, or the gestational carrier comes in as the carrier, as anatomically, obviously, a uterus is required to carry the child. And oftentimes, one of the primary reasons for a carrier might be that a woman had a hysterectomy for a variety of reasons. It could have been benign fibroids or even cancer. But as part of your practice, you you try and solve some of those um, problems with uh, the intended parents, the intended mother, before they start thinking about a surrogate, right? Absolutely. Our goal is to allow them to conceive in whatever the most natural form that they're um, possible. And this may involve a number of uh, techniques, surgeries, whether it's reconstruction of the ovaries, fallopian tubes, or uterus, and possibly even allowing these intended parents to then conceive on their own. Only when those efforts are either not possible or unsuccessful do we then have to move to other avenues to to explore. So you have sort of two carriers, and just tell me if I, I have this wrong, two situations when somebody wants to use a carrier. Maybe the, they have a, a medical issue when they're trying to conceive, or maybe uh, another category would be um, someone who's older that already knows that uh, they're not going to be able to conceive. So possibly age is all, is related to the ability to use her own eggs, but not so much a uh, reason that she couldn't carry a child. Interestingly enough, a woman can carry a child into her 60s anatomically, um, but it's really her ability to conceive using her own eggs, which is that limiting factor. Um, but often the reasons for gestational carriers can include both anatomic, where there is a uterus that's either unable or not present to carry the child, or possibly even uh, same-sex couples or a single parent who, who for other reasons, um, is not able to have um, that happen as well. So when you get a, a prospect in your office and, and they've heard of having a carrier before, what are some of the initial conversations that you have? So the first thing we do is, you know, explore the background for the intended parents, um, find out what, you know, brings them, what their goals are, you know, do they have children previously or not, and, and what what's their goal in, in exploring various avenues. And, you know, I tell most couples that this point of, you know, fact gathering or data, data gathering is really an important part as we start to discuss um, various, uh, various options. And as we mentioned even earlier, I think we discussed earlier, that often I'll have couples with very similar circumstances, each of which who may leave the office with a very different treatment or a different pathway, all of which are, are the best pathway for that particular couple. Okay, so there's many parties, or there could be more parties than just the, the intended parents. Uh, describe the, the different combinations of people that might be involved. 
So we think of traditional, um, you know, fertility therapy involving uh, a set of intended parents trying to conceive a child. With third-party reproduction, there can be three, four, even up to five directly related to um, the offspring. And then, of course, there is the whole host of a variety of both medical, legal, and psychological part of the team. And so directly you may have anywhere from three to five people involved and and as ancillary support or part of the treatment team, you can have uh, many more. And so what what positions would you say that those those hold? Each individual could be? So you have obviously the two intended parents always. You may have just one intended parent. And then you have the carrier who is uh, genetically not related but a female who would then carry and deliver the child. You may have a sperm donor involved and or an egg donor involved so that you could have up to five people involved directly. Oh, man, I thought my family tree was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it definitely complicates the family tree. And there could be five different personalities to deal with. Yes, absolutely. And as we, you know, we start to talk about other topics that are related, you can imagine that for every person involved, it really exponentially brings in a multitude of issues. So if you're tuning in right now, this is Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt and our special guest, Dr. Matthew Retzloff, helping us understand what is it to be a gestational carrier and go through the surrogacy process. Um, more so, what exactly is surrogacy again? Surrogacy is what we talk about now as a gestational carrier. So a woman who carries a child but is not genetically related to that child for an intended parent or parents. And yes, this is a talk law radio show, but we need experts, doctors like Dr. Retzloff, who can help us understand this. So if you have questions right now, call us at 210 210- Three zero eight 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 six seven. If you have questions or stories about surrogacy that you want to have cleared up, we're taking calls before the end of our show today. Yeah, and we'll get to the law eventually, but because of the medical terminology and the, just how complicated this process is, we wanted to lay the foundation for you. Uh, next, Dr. Retzloff, I'd like to ask you about ethical considerations. Sure. So there are, as you could probably imagine, a number of both moral and ethical considerations which are of really prime importance as we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing, both for the intended parents and all others that may be involved. Issues that uh, come into play involve informed consent, making sure that everyone knows kind of what they're in for, they know what potential outcomes may you know, may result from this, and, and some of the other complicated, more complicated issues, such as uh, the genetics of the child and how that may be communicated at a later point in time and, and others. I talked to um, one of my wife's friends about this, and she said that uh, one of the issues was uh, that they had to negotiate through the, the contract process was the the Zika virus at the time that she was going through this. Uh, she had a uh, a carrier, uh, and they had to talk about the Zika virus. Um, so I imagine now with uh, the COVID pandemic that that would be another issue that you have to talk about. 
Absolutely. We think, you know, with third-party reproduction, we think about uh, all sorts of communicable diseases, and the FDA gets involved. There are guidelines because, of course, we don't, we don't want a gestational carrier to be exposed either from the gametes that she may be exposed to during the reproduction process, but indeed the intended parents and the offspring as well should would need to be required to be protected from viruses such as the Zika virus and obviously more recently uh, COVID-19 or the novel coronavirus. Okay, so you've gone through some of the ethical discussions that you have uh, with the intended parents and, and with the carrier. Uh, where do you find a carrier? So there are a multitude of gestational carrier. Well, let's start, let's start with first there are anonymous carriers where there is a woman who may, for either altruistic or compensatory reasons, want to carry a child for someone she may not even know. And then there are known carriers where someone may know a family member, a sister, a cousin, etc., who may carry for them. And so there's sort of those two broad categories. Most commonly, the agencies, and there are what we call gestational surrogacy agencies out there that have a basically a host of women who have been screened and are found to be ideal candidates, and therefore they then present themselves to the intended parents. But you could use a relative, or Absol- no? Absolutely, and you know, oftentimes a relative may be both, there are both pros and cons to that. It Financially, uh, uh, compensation may be dependent upon sort of the means, and maybe a, a, a relative may be more in the altruistic range, possibly. Um, but in addition, um, more background may be known, but then it may be a little more complicated because, indeed, there may be interactions and in what that relationship is going to be after the delivery. So is there any way you can tell us what an ideal gestational carrier would fall into um, for the screening process? So, you know, it's interesting. There's not necessarily um, very specific uh, guidance as far as what I would call fit for pregnancy because, of course, the first thing you want to make sure is that um, she, the woman, is um, fit for pregnancy. And in the United States, we generally um, would require that the woman has experienced at least one childbirth, um, ranging in age from 21 to 45, no more than five pregnancies, and no more than three cesarean sections. And in general, she's delivered uh, no more recently than 12 to 18 months before undertaking um, the process and, and has healthy lifestyle, non-smoker, alcohol use, um, illicit drug use, et cetera, and, and potential other exposures, environmental and others. And um, those are primarily the things that we look for just as a pre-screening. Okay. And you mentioned something about uh, compensation in in terms when somebody uses a family member maybe it's less expensive so in in some states in the US uh the carrier can be compensated in some countries and other states uh the carrier cannot be compensated so compensation is a difficult area and i say difficult challenging is probably a better word because Compensation can be a direct payment to the carrier for services. It could be compensation for troubles, time, effort, um, um, inconveniences, etc., and, and risk that she's undertaking. So I think oftentimes compensation is looked at as what we really want to try to avoid, and that's selling a baby. We don't want someone paying for a baby, and, and we want to avoid the appearance that that would be um, the case. 
but the the carrier is going through something. Uh, any pregnant lady will tell you that. Absolutely. And so, you know, compensation isn't purely just sort of financial profit or, you know, paying for the services. It is a reimbursement for all of those issues that are involved with the carrying and delivery of a child. That sounds like a lot of contractual things that we have to go over when we come back from our long commercial of explaining the legal process of preparing for surrogacy, especially if there's more than three people involved. And so if you want to have a baby through a carrier, you might call our show now and ask Dr. Retzloff what it's like to go through this process. You can reach us here at the station live right now at 210-308-8867. Or you can visit our Facebook page and watch us behind the scenes as we're streaming live right now by going to Talk Law Radio and find the scales of justice. You'll be able to see us and send us any comments if you don't want to be on the phone and send us your questions. Send us your questions to the comments. But we'll be right back after this commercial here on Talk Law Radio. Again, the number 210-308-8867. Remember to call us. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with Todd Marcourt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas, and we have a live guest in our studio today, Dr. Matthew Retzloff, helping us understand the process of surrogacy, gestational carriers, and the evolution that it's gone through over the decades. So, Dr. Retzloff, once again, if people are tuning in right now and they haven't heard our show earlier, what exactly is surrogacy? So we're talking today primarily about gestational surrogacy or gestational carriers, a term that's used to describe a woman who would carry a child for another intended parent but is not genetically related to the offspring. Great. And you helped explain a little bit of what the screening process is like for the medical aspect of preparing for being a gestational carrier and having them involved in your family planning. What about psychosocial. Has Hollywood gotten anything accurate or what can you tell us that you've experienced through being uh, helping families through gestational carrier procedures? Well, I think on the upside, Hollywood obviously is has done a good job of putting the issue of infertility and fertility treatments um, out there for everyone to make it a topic that's more easily discussed. But on the downside, there may be some untold um, details about the reproduction. And I think primarily, as you see, older um, Hollywood um, couples potentially um, conceiving and delivering, it's important to remember that there is a natural decline in fertility as a woman ages and that after she achieves a certain age in the mid-40s, in fact, that even potentially earlier than that, that there is a requirement that she uses gametes from a younger woman and or a gestational carrier. And then what kind of of screening goes into a person's mental state? Is it just the gestational carrier? Is it everyone who's donating a cell to create this baby? So we, we have a pretty intensive process in the psychosocial screening, requires an assessment by a mental health provider, 
um, typically who's very specializes in this area, who, who includes both the gestational carrier, potentially her partner, the intended parents, both separately and together, because you can imagine when people are screened together, there may be issues of coercion or a lack of a openness. And so really it's a pretty complex process by which we get a very three or four page uh, lengthy uh, assessment by which the mental health provider will often say either yes or no in this particular instance. So I guess that's open for debate of what leads a person um, to making this decision. Was it truly altruistic reasonings or coercion because of their mental state? Right. And, you know, I think women will offer up the opportunity to be a gestational care for a variety of reasons and the spectrum is can include as you mentioned the al- purely altruistic no intention of any sort of compensation or return just the benefit of helping a couple who otherwise couldn't have a child all the way to from fi- financial necessity and actually doing it purely for financial um, remuneration for uh, reimbursement for for their services Now, is there a check-in process for the gestational carrier? Because when we get pregnant, I'm sorry, for those who are anatomically able to conceive children and become pregnant, they can be able to give a testimony of the different hormones and mental states that they had to go through that roller coaster. So how much attention to detail is there to make sure that everybody's mental state is still on the same page through that nine-month process. Right, and, and you know, we, re- we do require that the proposed gestational carrier has delivered at least one child before so that she has experienced both the process of pregnancy, childbirth, and potentially uh, any complications, which may, she may help prepare her for an additional pregnancy. Um, you know, and, and I think that's probably one of the most important things. The other is, what's the involvement of the intended parents during the pregnancy? Are they planning to attend visits? Are they going to be completely separated, potentially even geographically separated or international? And so the involvement of the intended parents both before and after birth is very important to settle on early. So that's what they can put into their contract. Yes, absolutely. That's one of the very important areas that has to be addressed in the contractual agreement. And that's why we're talking about it on Talk Law Radio, because this is uh, something where lawyers get involved um, as a necessity, at least in Texas. uh, The law requires that you have an agreement, and it has to be approved by the court ahead of time. Um, because otherwise um, the family law code sort of determines who the parents are and uh, there's a lot of emphasis on uh, the the person who gives birth is the mother unless there's an agreement otherwise. So as Dr. Retzloff had mentioned earlier, the people that genetically contribute to the conceiving of this fetus into infant into childbirth um it varies between having three different party members to maybe as much as five but then actually going through the procedure of having the different physicians you need through each process of the pregnancy each sorry each stage of the pregnancy and then the legal aspects that group just grows even more of who gets involved doesn't it so mr marquardt what do what should we understand needs to be integrated into making this decision and contract? Well, uh, Dr. Retzloff will tell you that in his office, 
they want to see the contract just to make sure that the contractual process is going forward. And uh, there are lawyers that uh, focus in on this area and have done many contracts. Um, It's something that I'm becoming interested in, but uh, I would have to refer that out right now. Um, What's interesting is uh, when people try to do this on their own, um, I don't know how they get away with it. Maybe the clinic that they're using doesn't um, require proof, or maybe they're, they're not using a clinic. They're just a group of friends that are uh, trying to get the job done on their own. Uh, there was a court case in Houston uh, where this was the case. Um, there was a, a carrier, and there was um, an intended father who... Uh, used his sperm, and there was an egg donor. And because they didn't have a a written agreement, um, when there was a dispute about parentage, the carrier won the day. Uh, The court said that uh, she gave birth to the child, and there was no agreement to the contrary. And so that's what Texas law said uh, the parent would be. So then... Who legally helps secure a family? The doctor who helps conceive it and gets all the genetic coding in line or the attorney that gets the contract written up? Well, this is <laughs> these are the extra members of the family <laughs> <laughs> making it happen, putting everything together uh, so that when when the baby's born, everybody stays in their lane, so to speak. Dr. Retzloff, what what sort of issues um, did you see pop up with regards to um, whose whose duties were being disputed or whose responsibilities were being disputed? Well, I think the mantra that we often sort of live by in our practice is that although the doctors can help them to conceive, help to make the child, only the legal team can actually secure a family. I think it's important to remember, and most of that family law is delegated to the states, and so the really state statutes, which vary from state to state, are very important to know before you get involved, both if there's geographic separation, for example, whether it's international with the United States or other states, that the local law. And it's also important that each individual has independent counsel, both the carrier, the intended parents, so that those independent councils, there's no um, sort of uh, conflict of interest there. And w- while this court case sort of highlighted the, the carrier that uh, wanted to keep the baby, um, I have heard from others that uh, it's really a misconception that this happens all the time because of that psychological testing, right? Right. You know, I think since we've moved from traditional surrogacy to the now more common um, gestational carrier where there's no genetic relationship, um, it's extremely uncommon that you would find a situation where the woman that's the carrier then is looking to try to continue to keep the baby, to parent the baby. And especially when the terms are set very clearly, the psychological screening's been done up front and done appropriately, it's, it's actually extremely uncommon. Some of the other legal issues that typically go into that contract I've learned our uh, health insurance, you know, how, how long is that going to last? Is that going to continue? 
after the pregnancy? Who's going to pay for the health insurance? What if the health insurance doesn't uh, cover something? And uh, something interesting that one person experienced, uh, they put a, a provision in the contract where there would be a goodbye visit by the uh, carrier. Um, it, like like we were saying, she doesn't necessarily want to keep the child, but she just carried the child for almost 10 months, and so they give her some time uh, to say goodbye, and even some, some other members of the carrier's family who were interested in, in the whole process got to say goodbye as well. And the whole reason for this complicated explanation and episode was so that way we can try and shed some life light into the fact that if people are struggling with fertility, if they want to do family planning, then there are methods if you have the right resources to find it. So stay tuned after this commercial. If you have any questions or comments you want to send us, visit our Facebook page on Talk Law Radio. But we'll be right back after this commercial with Dr. Matthew Retzloff. You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Our court law firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. They can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquardt Law Firm. MarquardtLawFirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio with your host, Todd Marquardt. I'm your co-host, Christiana Villegas, and we're live with our special guest, Dr. Matthew Retzloff, educating us about going through a gestational carrier process to help families who might be struggling with infertility. So having this procedure, having this method to keep a family growing might be optional if someone has a legacy that they want to leave behind and have someone to inherit it. So at the end of each segment, we ask our guests what kind of legacy do they want to leave behind since Marquardt Law Firm is our sponsor for the show and they focus on estate planning. So well, I think, what would you want your legacy to be, Doctor? I think uh, my legacy, I'd like to be remembered for both um, responsibly and both um, in, a, in a moral and ethical fashion, doing the right thing for each couple. You know, I think I mentioned earlier that for many years, it was extremely frustrating for couples who did not have alternatives. Um, now we know we have these alternatives available, but it's important to utilize them in a responsible fashion and ultimately see the smiles on the face of these intended parents as they come back and really close that loop, close the circle up, and and really kind of um, the reason that I'm doing what I do is to see the smiles on those faces and now doing this almost 20 years, you know, seeing some of those children actually becoming sort of high school, college age and soon to go off and have their own families. And so I think as we speak about legacy, legacy when you can impact others just begins to grow exponentially. And, and that's the, I think, the legacy I'd like to leave behind. 
Yeah, that's a great legacy of uh, helping them uh, create legacies of their own through their families. And you get to see those uh, children going off to college now. I'm sure that's rewarding. So the there are some estate planning issues that come up when we talk about uh, assisted uh, reproductive technology. And one is uh, if an embryo is frozen today and uh, I pass away and my child is born after I have died, um, will that child um, inherit from my estate? And so the, there's some general rules and then you can decide in your will or trust uh, how you want that to happen. Um, within the past year, I had I talked to somebody about uh, what they wanted. It was a, a gentleman who had uh, donated some gametes, his sperm, and he wanted to make sure that uh, whatever children <laughs> came after him, he was only responsible for the ones that he <laughs> knew personally. <laughs> so then... Who can be written as a beneficiary, Mr. Marquardt? Can you answer that? Does it have to be someone who's genetically related to you, or can it be anyone? Well, you can name anybody. You don't even have to name your family. That's one of the beauties of the United States is that uh, your family isn't really um, required to receive your inheritance. But I have to uh, talk about community property because uh, you don't have to leave your spouse anything, but anything that's community property, well, half belongs to the surviving spouse. So you can't give more than your half of community property, and you can give your separate property as well. But going back to the um, assisted technology part, um, if you don't know the name of the children and you do want to benefit every single person that's related to you, you could say, I give all that I have to my descendants. That word descendants means anybody that's uh, born or adopted from, from me or from my genes. So uh, when, you, when you're thinking about giving your assets to your loved ones or to your beneficiaries, you want to work with an attorney that knows that words matter, <laughs> that the definition of these words can lead somebody to either inherit or be disinherited uh, accidentally or on purpose. So we, we talk about goals just like Dr. Retzloff does so that we can accomplish things. We don't just make assumptions, and, and we're not order takers. You know, we give legal advice. And so if you're thinking about doing an estate plan or a will or a trust by some non-traditional measures, um, by using online forms or book forms, well, you're only getting the, the benefit of what you know. There might be some things that you don't know that you don't know. <laughs> and that's why they need to seek people who are certified in their fields to be able to answer the questions that maybe they don't have at the front of their mind. They didn't even think of these kinds of categories that go into making this decision of having a family, building it, and then leaving behind that legacy for them. Since I brought that issue up of frozen embryos, I wanted to ask uh, Dr. Retzloff 
What What are some of the the issues that come up when when somebody freezes embryos? Well, we actually have a contract that's signed prior to undertaking any treatments by which uh, the disposition is clearly defined before the treatment's undertaken. For example, if one or both parties was to become deceased, et cetera, what the um, disposition would be for those embryos, to who would they go, and who would have the uh, rights to those embryos. So that's actually cleared up before the treatment's undertaken. Well, that's a great thing to do because the... When this technology was new, there were a lot of court cases trying to decide what would happen. And if you can decide in advance through a, a contract like that, then you know you can stay out of court. So if if uh, I have a child that's born from frozen em- from embryos that were um, created that way, um, and some other embryos are not used, um, but somebody else uses those embryos later to have a child. Isn't that like a sibling relationship? And, and what if they don't know each other? Yeah, that's an interesting component because we do encourage embryo adoption just as there are adoptions for living children. It works much in the same way, uh, you know, genetically they would be related and would actually be genetic siblings. Um, They may be separated geographically and um, may or may not be aware of that uh, relationship. And so you can imagine that is an additional complexity which, you know, can take place even in the adoption of children who have been born, maybe adopted as very young as well. It just is even more of an extreme when you're dealing with embryos. That's so interesting. And uh, brings out some family dynamics that uh, are are not traditionally thought of. Um, you you could have a, a family reunion with people that you didn't even know existed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's definitely going to make a interesting field in the future. Some twenty years from now, once gestational carriers and surrogacy births have been able to expand and grow up. But if you want to know if this procedure is right for you and your loved one, if you're having a hard time starting your family, Dr. Retzloff was kind enough to give us his contact information. If you're here in San Antonio, Texas, you can find his clinic at FertilitySA.com or call his number 210-692-692. 0577 to reach Dr. Retzloff and start your family planning to find out if the anatomy is necessary to go through and then find an estate planning attorney, a family law attorney that can be able to counsel you through that process because first you have to make sure that you're biologically able to to do all this and then you would have those legal factors to make sure that the contract is going to be adhered to, right? Right, and I, I just wanted to mention also that if you're just now tuning in and you want to rewind and listen to the whole episode or watch the whole episode, uh, Christiana does some video editing, and she will repost this later on Facebook and on YouTube, and you can listen again um, either by uh, streaming it from our website, uh, talklawradio.com, or you can listen to the podcast on iTunes 
so there's many ways to listen to this same episode, but we have some 40 or 50 episodes that we've done prior to this also, um, from NASCAR to uh, estate planning to probate to uh, patent law to um, vaccine law. Um, there's lots of things that are interesting to listen to that you may not have known that you need to know about. <laughs> like especially the NASCAR episode or um, the time that we had the scene uh, animals, the, the yeah, animals that provide services. Yeah, we brought in a dog. <laughs> but I'm sure a lot of you are wondering, well, why are we even talking about this show, th- these topics? This show is supposed to be with an attorney. But Mr. Marquardt, explain to us, why is it important that we have this in our show? Well, we reach out to experts that affect the process in, in every area, and this is all to help you discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. But if you <laughs> want to have a special guest on our show, then we are taking as many recommendations as we can. Well, we should probably tell them that the month of July, we're not going to be recording live episodes. We'll have some recorded episodes just so people can learn about estate planning, elder law, and, and probate. Uh, but we'll be back in August uh, recording live again. Absolutely. So... Actually, it's uh, your off time is starting off a little sooner, isn't it, Mr. Marquardt? So this last week of May on the 30th, we will have a pre-recorded episode, so we can't take any live calls on that day, nor are we going to be able to take live calls on the first week of June. That'll be the 6th. So we'll have episodes playing for you to listen and share to all of your friends by visiting our Facebook page, talklawradio.com if you don't like Facebook then visit us on YouTube the same name, same logo the scales of justice and send us a comment in our videos of what kind of topic do you want to have when we come back in August for our new episodes well on uh, June 13th I think that's when we're going to have Tammy Trevino from uh, Bear County Housing Authority And we have an opening on uh, June 20th, but on uh, June 27th, we're going to have our Law and Gospel episode with Pastor Philip Doublestein. He's going to be helping us understand what the religious uh, rules have been and are today with regarding charging interest on loans. And there are lots of laws that have come up to uh, address that situation with uh, unusually high interest rates. That's called usury. So stay tuned every Saturday on Talk Law Radio at 11 o'clock. We'll be back in June. <laughs>